Welcome to the weekly meditation service. Tonight's talk is going to be about our personal relationship with the true self. And I'm going to begin with uh, some words from a newer metal group that's actually out of Texas. And they, uh, you know, and, and music, you know, there's always different genres. So this is called a metal core group. Um, and I think their music's really good. I enjoy it for that style because uh, I am a metalhead. And uh, however, the words that they're, 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 they're describing in this song, uh, I know that they, there's, the intention behind this is really good. And I've heard this same sort of phrasing from other religious folk or psychologists or maybe, you know, um, even Buddhists, surprisingly, have occasionally have heard this sort of language. But I want to show you how this language is incorrect from a Buddhist point of view. But again, enjoy the music and realize that these guys, you know, when they were writing this, were trying to do something to show us something good. But I'm going to clarify that from the Buddhist point of view. So this is uh, the group Upon a Burning Body, and this song is called Kill the Ego. Consume, devour the ego you've built. Divide and conquer before you lose yourself. False identity, false reality, alter the ego. It's time to kill. Kill the ego. Throw it away. Every bit of your will to drown out the evil. <laughs> so it's a cool song. And of course, you know, like I said, there's there's very little in this that you'd find, you know, you wouldn't hear from certain spiritual teachers, philosophers, psychologists. And I and I say the, their intention is, is good here. I can appreciate that and understand it. But I do want to clarify it because this is not what the Buddha said. This was not the Buddha's teaching. I'm sorry. With all due respect, to some of the teachers, even within the Buddhist tradition, that use this language. Just like the guys from Upon the Burning Body, I know their intention is good. But psychologically, it's not what the Dharma, I believe, is teaching. So what is it teaching? Well, the Buddha emphasized the need to do what? Destroy the ego self? Get rid of the ego self? Say the ego self never existed, there is no self? No. What the Buddha was teaching was the way to liberate the ego self. It was the way to liberate the ego self, not eliminate it. Because when you think about it, how can an ego eliminate the ego? There's a professor uh, at, uh, his name is uh, Kalu Pahana, and he uh, is at the university, it was at the University of Hawaii, where one of my mentors, Alfred Bloom, uh, taught. And he said this, and he was a, a Buddhist scholar. He said that the effort to eliminate the ego self is epistemological suicide as the ego self is what is awakened to the true self. The ones, the development of one's personality in the direction of wholeness or oneness begins with the ego self. 
And as I said in a talk earlier on here, a few weeks back, I said realizing your delusions is the beginning of enlightenment, it's the beginning of awakening. So what was, what was he talking about? Well, the first thing, like I say, that we have to really be clear about is that it's not about killing the ego self, destroying it, crucifying it, you know, ignoring it, <laughs> any of those things. It's about understanding the ego self. In fact, I would say the first step in practice is understanding the ego self. And in our system of mindfulness, the four directions, we begin by understanding the ego self. We spend a lot of time in understanding the ego self because that's the beginning of the path. Now, we also emphasize something that, you know, you might not associate with Buddhism, but it is so. And I think it is spiritually sound regardless of the language or the tradition that it, that it might come from. And that is the idea that at some point, we need to make a personal decision, one might call it an existential decision, to have a relationship with our true self. We call this in our language, taking refuge in the true self. Now here's the thing, when I was growing up, it was, you know, it was part of the practice of the evangelical form of Christianity that I was raised in, that you would, you would make a personal decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know. And it's kind of out of the popularity of that tradition that we get phrases we use in lots of different circumstances where they say, well, they need to have a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> we say that a lot. And it means that there's some point where we have to make a personal decision to reorient ourselves. That's what we would say, to reorient ourselves, to take refuge in our true self. And, you know, I look at other spiritual sort of helpful groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, for example. You know, the first thing they talk about is, you know, to admit, you know, that I was powerless over this alcohol or whatever it is. I mean, in our language, it's just admitting that I'm living out of my ego self and that my ego self doesn't really do a great job at managing my life. And it certainly seems to be mostly about suffering. So when we make this personal decision to turn our lives over to our true selves, to take refuge, what are we saying? Because here's the other thing you have to understand from the Buddhist point of view, from my point of view, the true self is a metaphor that represents the reality behind all the figures that we consider sacred. So the Buddha is a metaphor for the true self. You could say Christ is a metaphor for the true self. You could say Krishna is a metaphor for the true self. And so on and so forth. So for me, these are just different words that we're using, different symbols we're using to describe the same reality. And even the word true self is a metaphor for a reality that is beyond words, ultimately. So what are we saying? So what we're saying is that nirvana, or this freedom, is experienced within the life of the you self. And that this occurs, in other words, the awakening of a living being, this occurs 
when the beliefs and thoughts that cause suffering are overcome and no new formations are being constructed. And, and the metaphor language in the analogy the Buddha Shakyamuni used was that the thoughts and beliefs you have, that, that conditioning, those five stages we go through, that's the house builder. The ego self is the house builder. But the true self is, is in the same Buddhist language, the lord of the house. And so when we recognize this, we realize that, as I said earlier, the delusion is the beginning of awakening. And also it says here that no new formations will be brought. And that is true. One of the things you find in your practice over time is you stop building new ways to suffer. You're deconstructing the other ones, but you're, you're, you become more mindful about not bringing about new ones. And the ego self, which uh, one way of talking about that in the Sanskrit is Sankara, uh, which exists as a kind of uh, karmic resultant consciousness, um, it, it continues to exist in the world as long as we are in a space-time-gravity dimension. So it's the experience of who we are in this world. And each liberated individual produces no new psychic karma but preserves a particular individual personality, which is the result of the traces of his or her karmic heritage. And the very fact there's a psychophysical substrate during the remainder of a practitioner's lifetime shows a continuing effect of what we might call karma. Okay, now what is that all saying? What it's saying is that basically, as long as we are human beings, as long as we're in this time-space dimension, this experience of consciousness, we're going to be an ego self. And that the practice of the Dharma, the way the Dharma works, is not by destroying or killing the ego self. It's about embracing the ego self with kindness, compassion, and love. And it is through love that the ego self is liberated. And through the practices, the ego self is transmogrified as a manifestation of the true self. And that's what we say when we were all Buddhas. And then when we manifest that, we manifest it as Bodhisattvas. So this is what it's saying. And, and Parinirvana, which is the word that we, we use for a practitioner who has died, we are freed from this body but its experiences are a part of the collective consciousness of the individual mind stream. So it means that nothing is lost. So the ego self is precious. The ego self is something we care for, that we love into liberation. We don't bully it or punish it or you know, push it around. That's, what, that's what's been going on heretofore. We want to give it a break. We don't want to let it run the show anymore, right? It's not the Lord of the house. But we want to love it. And so when we take refuge in our true self, when we make that personal existential decision to give our lives, our, our orientation in life over to the true self, what we're really saying is, is that we are going to lift up and liberate the ego self. 
So I hope that's clear. And I hope the next time someone says to you, you know, get rid of your ego, you know, you'll kindly smile and imagine the words that I shared tonight and the words from this professor where that's just kind of epistemological suicide. <laughs> it's not possible. So...